Welcome to the Marie Manu Cherry Show, where energy and medicine meet. I will be your host for the next hour. I have over 19 years of healthcare experience and began my career as an energy medicine practitioner while working as an oncology nurse at a Seattle area hospital. My skill in moving energy combined with my medical background have been a catalyst for change in many people's lives. I hope the next hour will be transformative for you as well. Hello and welcome to the Remenu Cherry Show. We're live here in gorgeous, sunny, just a little bit of wind, Seattle, so that you don't perspire too much and, you know, have to jump in the pool. Like I like of course many people throughout the United States are doing right now and we send our our cool breezes to your part of the world so that you can rest and relax and enjoy your summer as we're doing here. Have you been riding your bike? Who, me? Yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, yeah, this is Eric. And, <laughs> <laughs> and I have ridden my bike, yes. especially last weekend, riding oh, really? around. Yeah, enjoying it Where'd quite a go? bit. Uh, just around Tacoma. Oh, nice. Yeah. Lovely, yeah. lovely. I don't go on those uh, into the forest, climb through the hills and all that stuff. <laughs> you I, don't? No, it's no. too exhausting. So <laughs> I just ride around the neighborhood and Aww, have fun. That's so nice. Well, I just, when I was looking at you, I could see you on a bike. And I know we, we haven't even talked about bike riding. I know. I really haven't done as much oh. as I would like to this, uh, this year. But I, I was just thinking about it a few minutes ago, like... Why have I not ridden my bike very awesome. much? I've awesome. been watching too many great TV shows. <laughs> That's the problem. Save them up for the fall or That's the winter. Right. And, you know, we're just so lucky right now to have what I call like the dream Seattle type of summer weather. It's just stunning. And I think we're going to have great weather all through September. Goldilocks weather. Gold- oh, I love that. Not too hot, not too cold. <laughs> yeah, it's perfect. I was on Whidbey um, this weekend riding my bike. Oh, beautiful. Loved it. I was there two weekends in a row. So I still haven't taken my bike out of the car because I'm thinking, well, can I dash over there again this weekend? Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's just amazing weather. So it's Thursday. And of course, I get the honor and the joy of interviewing people on the show. I'll be Next week, we'll get back to a little bit of interviewing. And then the next, the following week, we'll be doing just me and back and forth. Um, so that'll be interesting as well. But of course, I love to interview people. And I love to interview authors because books are one of my favorite things in the world. And uh, as some of you know who've listened to me or have seen me privately, manifesting is also one of my favorite things. So when um, Trevor Blake, who is our guest today, when he told me about the book that he was, I think you were finishing writing it or you had just finished it when we met. It, it had just come out of editing. Ah, yes. just come out of editing. So well, that's a nice feeling, you right? You were my first test. <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I love it. Yeah. And it was so nice that I got an advanced copy. I so appreciate it. But then I lost it when I was, I think... Um, in Palm Springs, and I nervously wrote you because I love books so much. The thought of losing an advanced copy of a book made me so nervous, but you're so, of course, gracious and sent me another copy. So you can tell when I like a book, and I'm calling this my new favorite book. Wow, thank you. You're welcome. Tweeted Facebook, my new favorite book, because it's highlighted, underlined, pages are bent, you know. The writing's that bad, is it? (laughs) Yeah, that's why I don't like the, I don't have the kindle edition or whatever you know i need to be able to hold it and squish it and you know make marks it and all of those good things so this book is full of marks and squishes so trevor you know one of the fun things about you is that you have been a successful entrepreneur um, a very successful entrepreneur by the way and you've been using the techniques that you wrote about in your book three simple steps for a very very long time and you use them to help you free yourself from um a life of being dedicated to corp- the corporate world in a way that wasn't singing to your heart. And you were able to create and sell and continue to create and sell companies that you can believe in and that sing to your heart. 
That's that's correct. I, I build companies, and I think you have to know in life if you're a builder or a maintainer. So ah. I get bored very quickly, so I, I, I like to build, sell, and then do it again. Ah. Well, one of the things I love is that despite stock market crashes, dot-com bus, um, and being the spectator of the recession, as many people were scared to death to do anything about changing careers or, God forbid, starting a business, that's the perfect time you thought. And you even write in your book about how historically many great companies have been started during that time. You were, you were able to um, start a virtual, uh, virtual company from home using a few thousand dollars of your own savings. And a few years later, without ever hiring an employer, leaving your home office, you sold it for more than $100 million. That's pretty amazing. Yeah, people like that number. <laughs> Something magic about $100 million. <laughs> If it was $99 million, they wouldn't be interested. <laughs> no, I think we would. I think $99 million, we would still be interested. Um, and so, of course, that catches someone's, you know, information as well. But what I love about your book is the, the steps really are three simple steps. They're phenomenal simple steps. You talk in the book that step number two is the most difficult one. Um, I, would, I would agree with you, although I think for people who haven't learned on being positive in their lives, step one could be probably one of the most challenging steps. I think it depends where you are. The, the book is designed to help people who feel that they're life is stuck in quicksand to get out of that quicksand. Uh, after that, it's up to the person to go in any direction they want. So, uh, you know, some people work hard on, on step one and um, some people are already doing step two. So it's a natural, right. a natural thing. It's you true. understand energy. So step two seems more natural to you, I think. You probably have got into it more quickly. Yeah, I did. I had yeah. actually started, um, well, just so, so for our listening audience, why don't you just briefly say what step one, two, and three are, briefly. <laughs> well, I think of the, the three steps, and I think of each of them as, as ingredients, like you would have ingredients in a recipe. So you can use them individually, and they have, they have value by themselves. But when you use them in the right order, the right quantity, depending on where you are in life, and you apply the right amount of energy, which mm-hmm. you can imagine if it was ingredients, you'd apply the right amount of heat to those ingredients, mm-hmm. then they have the ability to transform. So the three ingredients might become a beautiful cake. Well, with the three simple steps, if you apply these steps in the right order, for the right amount of time. They will transform your lives. And I, I can say that from, from two perspectives. One, I've been teaching these techniques formally and informally for many years. And, and to see people's lives change is just an absolute blast. I mean, it's mm-hmm. transformative. Mm-hmm. And of course, my own life. I, I've had no advantage in life other than <laughs> applying these three simple steps. And I can't complain. So, so. <laughs> Well, and your mother was a, a wonderful teacher for you in terms of the first step at the very least you know, learning to, despite odds and challenges, you know, I often tell people that I grew up poor. Well, after reading (laughs) your experience as a child, okay, no, we were rich. (laughs) We were filthy rich. Um, Your family inhabited for a long time an abandoned home that kind of looked like a barn, actually, from the way you described it when you were growing up. There's sort of an inverted snobbery about being poor. We all try to outdo each other now. It's like like a Monty Python sketch, you know. I was poorer than you were. Yeah, really. No, you win. I used to lick the road clean with my tongue and all that sort of thing. Yeah, you totally win. (laughs) So we did. I mean, by the time I was seven, we'd been evicted three times um, from from, uh, apartments above above stores. And then in those days, this was in the late 60s, you could literally pack all your belongings into a truck and escape from your bailiffs or creditors and hide out in the hills. And and we did that under, under cover of darkness. And, and it, the, our, the van we had actually coughed to a stop and, and, and broke down outside this derelict farmhouse. And I think the farmers that owned it were just thrilled to find somebody who actually <laughs> wanted to live there. And that's where we, we stayed there, thereafter. And, and the truck never worked again. Wow. Uh, um, and it was. It was built in. I like to say this because here it, it's an unusual thing to talk about. Uh, but the house was built in 1601. Wow. Um, and nothing had changed except the roof. It had a new slate roof. One time it would have been thatched. But it had the original thick boulder walls. 
and all the plaster that held it together had uh, had disintegrated. So from the inside, it looked like it had been bitten by mice. It looked like a piece of cheese. You know? <laughs> and, and But that was good for us because we were forever being hounded by creditors and bailiffs. And so we could spy from the inside oh, that's until funny. they escaped. And then I could tell my parents to come downstairs. It's okay. It's all clear. So wow. we lived in that place uh, and it was, you know, just so cold, freezing cold. But as a child, it was just a great adventure too. Right. I didn't realize how poor we were until I left home and then came back and it was a bit of a shock when I saw how I'd lived. You know right. I mean? And everything was kind of the same when you and your siblings went back after your father passed, which you write about in the book. I mean, for those of you who are wanting to manifest, um, this is an excellent, wonderful book, but the stories too are endearing and interesting. And you write about after your father had died, you returned home for well, at some point, I don't know if it was for the funeral or not. No, it was some years later. He mm. he was evicted for a fourth time <laughs> after my mother was buried. And the, and we found out that the people who owned that farmhouse, uh, they hadn't received rent for many years, but hadn't said anything because they, they loved my mother and weren't going to turn out somebody who was ill. Um, but as soon as she was buried, then they, they turned my father out. And he disappeared for a long time. Um, we found him, got him back on his feet again. And then we decided to do some closure. So we went back to the place we grew up. Uh, and paid our, our respects to the grave. And, and this would be in, I think, 2000. So no one had been back to that house since 1984. And we thought, you know, it'd be more derelict. It looked like the Marie Celeste, you know, the ship that was just found floating in the ocean. It was, and it looked like people had just jumped overboard that moment. Wow. It, it was st- the t- kitchen table was still set for breakfast. His his uh, bed gown was still lying over the end of the bed. There was there was things in the air. But it, it really was quite a surreal experience, um, but it was good closure. I, I picked all kinds of mementos up to bring right. back me to bring back to the United States. But I ended up, you know, one, before we closed the door, I put them back inside because it was time to move on. Right. But uh, yeah, quite surreal. Wow. Wow. Yes. And and so step one, which is about not being negative, you know, cutting out the negativity in life. Yeah, it's a little more than that. I'm not. Mm. You, you might be surprised that I'm not a big fan of the self help movement. Um, mm. We can talk about why before mm-hmm. we join the show. And, and and I also pull back from positive thinking because. Um, you know, sometimes positive thinking, all it does is make you feel better about the life you have. And most people want a better life. So it's not enough to get you there. Right. Plus, um, it's hard to control how you think because thoughts work at the speed of light. So if you see something you don't like, your thought is instantaneous. And it's hard not to have that thought or that feeling. So, so part one is more about how do you find that pioneering spirit with which we were all born? Mm-hmm. And what happened to it? And well, it got mm-hmm. suppressed by all the negativity that you've seen on TV or from you, the friends or family around you. And that combination of people and, and, and media's opinion stops you from making individual decisions. And, mm-hmm. and you can't become self-made if you're a slave to fashion or trend. Mm-hmm. You sometimes have to I swim against the I do fashion, though, I must admit. Shoes, purses, coats. <laughs> well, you can see I don't. <laughs> <laughs> no, you look lovely. <laughs> My wife dresses me, thank goodness. <laughs> and you talk about really reclaiming your mentality, which is a beautiful way of approaching it, you know, because we're all our unique person, you know, that following... Like you said, not always, you know, being a negative, but then overly focusing on the positive could be disappointing if people are overly focusing on the positive and things aren't moving in a positive direction. The idea of really inhabiting your own unique mentality that belongs to no one else but you is a great idea. Uh, and it's, you know, I, I didn't uh, create this idea or come up, it's not any genius on my part. Uh, going back to when I was uh, young, when we escaped to that rural part of Wales, 
believe it or not, my accent identified me as foreign. Right. And my, it's hard to hide shabby clothes, especially when you've got odd-coloured shoes on your, on your feet. So, <laughs> so when you look poor and you are also treated as something of a foreigner, you're a target for bullying. Mm. So I was subject for a while to what we could call sectarian bullying. And the one place I knew my tormentors wouldn't go was the public library, mm. obviously. Um, and so I used to hide out there. And that's where I started to read autobiographies of self-made men and women. And, and uh, it just inspired me because there, there were people like Madam C.J. Walker and Carnegie and Ford and, and, and Samuel Colt. And these people, had worse starts in life than I did but they found a way out and what I found was it, it wasn't about how they thought about the situation it's how they reacted to how they thought about that situation mm-hmm. and that made the big difference mm-hmm. and I decided to introduce what were really their techniques although they probably hadn't have they didn't have labels for them but I, I, I sort of adopted their behaviors and attitudes and I made it into this first step and that was enough to get me out of poverty just that wow. first step wow and, and and along with that first step your mother um, was ill for a big part of your life most of your life Right. She was diagnosed with breast cancer and given six months to live when I was eight. Mm-hmm. And I remember it very well because I remember my father telling my sister and telling my sister not to tell her older brother. And she, of course, told me an hour later and told me <laughs> not to tell my younger brother. So I told him that night. And we never mentioned it again. It was never mentioned in the family. But um, I was there with her when she told the doctors that wasn't long enough. Right. She wanted more time. And then one day um, she was in the kitchen washing dishes and, and I was in the hallway and I was being a typical naughty eight or nine year old. And I know if I went in the kitchen, I'm going to have to dry the dishes. So I was avoiding my chores and I, I hung out in the hallway, at, but I could see through the gap in the door. And, and she got some pain in the chest. She dropped a dish and grabbed a chest. Uh, but then she looked out through the window and she said, if you think I'm coming now, my kids aren't <laughs> fully grown. You've got another thing coming. And I thought, my goodness, I mean, I'm scared of her when she's in a bad mood. Even God's going to be scared <laughs> of her in this situation. But, you know, she was a woman of her word. And um, through 14 years of debilitating surgeries and, and constant pain, um, you know, she made it and saw us all leave the nest. And it was Aww. a tremendous thing. And and so she was a great role model of mentality. She know? was my real life role mm-hmm. model. I had my I had my historical heroes, and then I had right. a real life example of how you can develop that unshakable belief. Right. right. Uh, no matter what anyone says. No matter the circumstances. Right. When a doctor's telling you you have six months to live, or it's up to you, not him. Right. Which is beautiful. <laughs> which is beautiful. Well, I'm having the pleasure and the honor of interviewing Trevor Blake here on the Marie Menu Cherry Show. We're live in Seattle. You can also listen to us on the web at energyintuitive.com. And where else, well, where else, Eric? People can listen in on 1150kknw.com. Just go and click on the Listen and Watch Live button, and that'll take you to our Listen and Watch live uh, screen. And you can actually stream the show live throughout the world, and you can watch the show live because... Now you're on camera, Marie. Yeah, so I have to wear makeup and put on lipstick and fix my hair. But hey, that's okay. That's lovely. Um, if you want to ask Trevor a question today, please feel free to call in. And what numbers can they use? Uh, give us a call at 425-373-5527. That's 425-373-5527. And I'll give you the toll-free number right after these words. Become a Reiki master the weekend of October 5th through October 7th at the Redmond Town Center Marriott. This two-and-a-half-day transformative workshop is open to all levels of experience and will certify you in Reiki 1, 2, and 3. You will learn to move energy within the body by practicing on other workshop participants. Marie will be your instructor, guiding you with her own symbolic sight and providing constructive feedback. Take this opportunity to fulfill your dreams of becoming your very own certified Reiki master. You will receive attunements that allow you to practice Reiki at the master level and information on the laws that govern professional practice in Washington State. 
Enrollment is limited. Please call 425-825-5671 or visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com, for more details. Manson Mitchell welcomes Grant Cameron back for more about the presidents and UFOs on Friday. Did the aliens really like Ike? Then on Saturday, George Bean takes us on a tour of the amazing mind of Stephen King. Followed by a return visit from medium Mickey Jacobs. That's Manson Mitchell Friday morning at 10 and Saturday at 11 a.m. Pacific on Alternative Talk 1150 a.m. Have you been thinking about heading down a healthier path but aren't quite sure where to begin? Marie has a set of DVDs that can help steer you in the right direction with wisdom, insight, and a dash of humor. The Healing From Within series imparts practical tools you can easily use to expand personal health. Marie collaborated with frequent radio guest and naturopath, Dr. Sheila Dunmerit to produce four DVDs that include detoxification, heart health, brain health, and hormones. The DVD series can be purchased online at energyintuitive.com or by calling 425-825-5671. Talk radio with a difference. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And if you do want to call and do the show today here on the Marie Manucherry Show, you can call in toll-free at 877-825-8828. Again, that number is 877-825-8828. Now back to you, Marie. Thank you so much, Eric. Today I'm interviewing Trevor Blake. He's a serial entrepreneur and success coach who used the ideas in his new book, Three Simple Steps, first to escape poverty, as we were just talking about, then to achieve a life of adventure. He finally turned them towards financial independence and is currently building his third company. So what's the third company? Actually, fourth. Fourth? Okay, what's the fourth company? (laughs) It's a new medical company. It's a, it's a, um, I I had a career in the pharmaceutical industry, a a good career. Um, And I know the pharmaceutical industry comes in for a lot of criticism. A lot of it is justified, but I was fortunate. I only ever met people who cared about patients and were scientific in nature Mm -hmm. and really enjoyed it. But I was turned off by the corporate wastefulness, which is endemic in America anyway, Mm -hmm. um, but particularly abhorrent in the healthcare world Mm -hmm. where those costs get passed on as high prices to the, to the, um, to the patient. So we we have a virtual pharmaceutical company that we're focusing on, um, rare diseases for children, which is, I've done it before and, and it got too big and I sold it. That was the one you mentioned for a hundred million. And it was so much fun. Um, I decided to take a two year sabbatical that lasted about two weeks. So here I am again. So <laughs> <laughs> I can't help. I'm an addict. I no, I think it's wonderful. <laughs> and we're so fortunate to have you do that. And I love modern medicine and, but I believe it has its flaws like everything mm. else. And, you know, one of the companies that you've also um, grown, I don't know if you still have it or not, is, um, a company dedicated to creating healthier ways for people to heal from cancer, detoxifying the toxicities of chemotherapy, which, I so appreciate. Thank you so much for doing that. <laughs> well, actually, that came, that um, was an issue. All my companies were started in Seattle, but like everything else, it's always synchronicity. It's always, it's always, you know, putting your dreams together and your intentions, and things happen. And I happen uh-huh. to be doing some consulting work for a, for a biotechnology company here, and they unfortunately uh, ran out of funding. But they had this really fascinating program. They were developing uh, cancer drugs that are very similar to drugs currently on the marketplace. Mm-hmm. So they had the same. Um, tumor killing properties but they had none of the side effects and that leads to two things one is that would be nice to have but two <laughs> if you have if you have drugs without the side effects people can take the drugs for longer Long and therefore you get better outcomes so Absolutely. so i took that program and and um 
had been funding it myself until until uh, 2011, and mm-hmm. then I found a company outside the United States that was willing to do a joint venture with me. So I'm, I'm sort of I own a third of it, I think now, and, and I'm a director with it. But I don't I, I keep out of the way because I'm not a scientist, believe it right. or not. So I try not to meddle with what they're doing. Ah, uh, uh, well, I just absolutely love that. And you're donating all the profits of Three Simple Steps to cancer treatment. Yes, and and it's actually directly into that program. I'm a little leery of cancer charities because Mm -hmm. some of them you just don't know where your donation is going, and some of them do have highly paid executives. And you know, if you're (laughs) if you're donating money, you want to see it go to do something, right? Uh, And so, and something uh, positive, you know, know, not another drug that's going to make even more horrendous side effects for someone. Exactly. So, so the money goes directly into the laboratory. Right. And, and it's put to work straight away. Oh, that's absolutely wonderful. Thank you so much for doing that. I, I know, of course, a lot of cancer patients, as I still get to see them, which is one of my favorite things in my practice. And one of the most you know fascinating things that I think that people who've never been touched by cancer don't understand is that chemotherapy drugs actually cause cancer or can cause cancer. And so not only do we have to worry about our patients recovering from the illness that they have, but potentially getting another form of cancer from the right. treatments that they've received. And, you know, I saw that with my mother, obviously, and with I've seen it with other people too. Mm-hmm. I worked in a cancer hospital in the nuclear medicine department for oh, about six years one time, and you see it all the time, and that most people, I find, handle their cancer with tremendous grace mm-hmm. and, and stoicism, but the, the side effects rob them of that dignity. Mm-hmm. And if so if we can develop things with less side effects, that's just going to be more powerful. And I love what you said about them living longer, you know, because... I see so many people today living with cancer, living mm. full lives and completely independent and happy and a full head of hair, but having to do treatments every now and then, but still, you know, living a normal lifespan. And I think that's fantastic. And it's steps in the right direction. So, you know, step one is about reclaiming your mentality. Absolutely. Right? Step two is what you talked about in the book. And I do think it it is an actually a difficult step. I just happened to be when I read your book, I had already started doing uh, 20 minutes in the evening. I had meditated for a while in the very beginning of my intuition expanding and so much of my life changed. I stopped meditating and it had dawned on me maybe like six months ago that maybe I was afraid of too much change. <laughs> so I was like, okay, no more meditating. I'm not going to meditate. And this, But this isn't meditation. And that's what I was also trying not to achieve because there's pressure with meditation. You're supposed to have some euphoric experience or, you know, Voices are supposed to talk to you, which, of course, people then can't really, of course, they do to me often, but you can't then really relax, you know, and that's really what the 20 minutes, the second step is, is just to be. It is. And the second step has many benefits, but I was interested in just one aspect. And, um, you know, I first got into the second step when I was in my early 20s. And in those days, I was playing soccer three or four times a week and I was going to the pub. So meditation was the last (laughs) thing I was likely to talk about in that environment, unless I wanted to be thrown out of both of those environments. So uh, but in the in the biographies of self-made men and women, it was startling to me that they all had a technique, and they gave it different labels depending mm-hmm. on what was acceptable in their time for re- solving problems. And and they were, and whichever way they did it, they all, always ended up in a place by themselves, sitting quietly. Uh, people like Henry Ford used to go back to the farm he grew up in and find an old rocking chair and just sit there. And that's how he resolved most of his his issues. And mm-hmm. you know, most people don't know his story. He you know he was one day away from going out of business when he sold his first car. Uh, and he resolved that sitting in a rocking chair. Einstein was the same and, and all these people. So I, I was always of, a, of the mind when I was that young that if it worked for them, who am I to say it's not worth having a go? So I did it privately and secretly. Wow. How, um, how old were you? I was probably about 21 wow. when I started. Wow. 
Um, and so, and, I, and I'm leery also of the, of the phrase meditation because for me that conjures up something quite difficult mm. and, and it aims for something larger like enlightenment or something. I just wanted something to resolve the situation that I come across every week. I meet people who say, you know, I want to take control of my life. Maybe I want to start a company. I want a better job, but I just don't have any good ideas. And I was looking for a method that can put you in a situation where you can have good ideas, not once, but on a regular basis. And, and that's the technique that I use. It's so simple, incredibly effective, but it, but it, Anyone can use it from nine to 99, can sit down tomorrow, start using it and see benefits immediately. The reason I say it's probably the most difficult step is that it does border on the esoteric. And for some reason, we all, most of us, you know, uh, start to think that's a little weird. You know, not, not on this not show. Not you. No. <laughs> well, not me either. But I, right. I do meet people who think, oh, you do that. Do you? you know, <laughs> how strange. But it's really interesting that these really successful people do that. And and you don't have to go too far in history. Steve Jobs, mm. uh, you know, he he did exactly what I have in this book. I took quiet time every morning. And people who look at his life and describe his life talk about his management style. And then they skip over the 5% that they call weird because at least it didn't affect a successful part of his life. Whereas they should be connecting the dots between that 5% of what people call weird stuff and, and the success. And the success, right. And, and whether it works or not, I wouldn't dare stop because I've, <laughs> I've sold two companies I, for I over can 100 tell million. You, right, exactly. <laughs> you know? I can tell you that it, it the first thing in the morning really does make a difference. And you state in the book, it's the first thing. So, you know, I, I brush my teeth and that's about it. I do grab a cup of tea on my way to wherever I'm going to be sitting, just in case I, I, I want to, yeah. But it's just, it, it, I think because your brain's still quiet from hopefully a night of rest, that you're not inundated with your phone, the computer, the noise of the home. It's, it's like you really get to just chill for a moment. It's amazing. And, and, you know, I've tried to find scientific reasons why we do all these things and get benefit. And in the book, I've included some of those because we're in an age where neurosciences come on leaps and bounds and you can map what goes on in the brain when you do these things. They call mm-hmm. it, some people will call this mindfulness or, you know, just just right. setting the, sign, the mind aside. And right. you can see what happens in the brain when you do that. What's interesting is, though, that people think when they, when they take quiet time that they're slowing the brain down. But actually, it's the only time during our waking hours that the brain is allowed to work at its full power. Wow. Because the brain works at the speed of light. Everything else we do in our waking hours slows the brain down so that it can help us do these menial things that we think are speeding up our lives, like getting my fat thumbs to work on a, on a BlackBerry. <laughs> you know, right. that really, you have to really slow down for that. And we think that we think we're fast and productive, but it's the opposite. Oh my so gosh. for that first 20 minutes in the morning, that's where your brain is just left alone to do what it's meant to do. And, and that's, why you, that's why after that you get these incredible ideas. And you, uh, every day I think, why didn't I think of that before? Right. Um, and the, I call them moments of insight. And, you know, in all of those self-made men and women, the biographies I, I've read, that makes a difference. One moment of insight makes a difference between success and mediocrity. And wow. that's what you're aiming for. Right. And so even if someone doesn't want to start their own company but wants to be successful in a corporation that hopefully that they enjoy and feel inspired by to work for, that this can help them to be successful as well. Absolutely. Because, it, you know, I, I talk about quicksand. If people feel they're in the quicksand, when you're in the quicksand, the harder you struggle, the deeper you sink. And, and you don't know which way to turn to get out. So you need an idea. You need a moment of inspiration. Mm-hmm. So you have to do that second step. And, it, and for most people, it comes fairly quickly. Mm-hmm. I, I get more response, more emails, more phone calls from people who have been blown away by the effects of the second step than anything else. And, and also, you mentioned this in the book, but I actually felt it physically. I think my body benefits from it. My physiology, my anatomy, I can, I can feel all this energy just pouring into my body and busily at work, um, which kind of relates to what you said about the brain working faster in that moment of rest, of semi-rest, you could say. I mean, that to me is like a huge benefit. That's what gets me out of bed. 
Because I'd rather just lay in bed to the very last second that until I have to get up. <laughs> um, but I, for the last few weeks, I have not been doing that. I've been getting up so that I have 20 minutes by myself in a comfortable place, inside or outside, just depending on my mood. And, and, I, and I think what draws me out of bed for now anyway is just that I feel like it's a positive effect for my health. Well, and for most people, it's the only only time during the day where it will be peaceful. And 15 or 20 minutes is an incredibly long time of silence in our lives today. I mean, you and I could stop talking for five seconds now. Let's just do that. Okay. It's long. See, it seems natural. I hope and the listeners have a little... No, no, it's they're great. They're kicking the radios yeah, now to no. see what's wrong with it. But, but it's a long time. So imagine 15 minutes of that. It oh, is a long yeah. time. And your brain really responds to that. Right. Yeah, it's it's just amazing. So then the third step, what happens or what you believe happens when you've had this restful time and you're you're connecting to your own mentality um that that spontaneous ideas come up mm-hmm. right and so then the then the job of the individual is to follow those ideas well the reason the steps are in the order they are is that we we all get good ideas all the time but if you if you're not doing step 1 if you're not controlling your mentality in step 2 you may get a great idea but the first thing you do is put the well, let's say the radio on, <laughs> and I'm on, I'm on radio now, but let, let's say you put the radio on and the first words you hear are that the world is crashing, you know, the, the economy is going south, you're just lucky to have a job. Well, the idea, the great idea you just had has just been crushed. So you do have to control the mentality first so that when you get those great ideas, you choose how to react to them. Mm-hmm. In fact, you mentioned that if you're not controlling the mentality, it, actually spending some quiet time, well, maybe not the quiet time, but the ideas that you're going to get are not going to be beneficial or helpful. And you may not even notice them because you're too busy uh, looking after the kids or, or, you know, or taking the dog for a walk. I mean, life just invades that brain and slows it down. So, you know, it, it's a real treat to give yourself 15 to 20 minutes to yourself in the morning. It's mm-hmm. an incredibly selfish treat. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can't imagine my life without it. And it, it's interesting that I do it just for the idea generation, but I know there are health benefits too. And on the days when I don't do it, because I, I slip up as well, like everybody else does. Sure. Um, my wife knows immediately. Really? Yeah, she can tell on the phone. Uh, <laughs> and she'll say to me, you didn't take your quiet time this morning. So she can tell by my demeanor it's different. Oh, oh. Well, I'm certainly enjoying our conversation here with Trevor Blake. We're talking about his first and your newest book that's uh, available at Amazon.com. And where else can people find it? Amazon for right now. Uh, and, and Barnes & Noble. And Barnes and & Noble. Uh, and 3 com. Oh, wonderful. So we're going to take a break here on the Marie Menu Cherry Show, and we'll be right back. And if you want to call in today, you can at 425-373-5527. Again, that's 425-373-5527 or toll-free 877-825-8828. That's 877-825-8828. Become a Reiki master the weekend of October 5th through October 7th at the Redmond Town Center Marriott. This two-and-a-half-day transformative workshop is open to all levels of experience and will certify you in Reiki 1, 2, and 3. You will learn to move energy within the body by practicing on other workshop participants. Marie will be your instructor, guiding you with her own symbolic sight and providing constructive feedback. Take this opportunity to fulfill your dreams of becoming your very own certified Reiki master. You will receive attunements that allow you to practice Reiki at the master level and information on the laws that govern professional practice in Washington. Washington State. Enrollment is limited. Please call 425-825-5671 or visit Marie's website, energyintuitive.com, for more details. There's an exciting new astrology hour, Tuesdays at 5 p.m. with Deborah Silverman. Deborah's unique blend of psychology and astrology turns planetary language into plain English. Join us for an interactive hour that's guaranteed to give you personal insights. 
in a fun and entertaining way. Tune in to Deborah Silverman Live. Whatever your life question, marriage, job, family, relocation, or just curiosity, call for a live reading Tuesdays at 5 p.m. And visit Deborah's website at DebraSilvermanAstrology.com. Don't touch that dial. You might miss something life-changing. Alternative Talk, 1150 AM. And welcome back to Marie Manu Cherry Show. We're live here in gorgeous, beautiful uh, Seattle. I'm going to be in Tempe, Arizona on August 24th and 25th. I'll be doing a book signing in the evening on Friday at 7 p.m. And then I'll be teaching a class on intuitive health between noon and 4, the Changing, Changing Hands Bookstore in Tempe, Arizona. And then I'm off to Boston in September, September 11th at 7 p.m. I'll do be doing a book signing at the Trenton Bookstore. And then, of course, I'll then go to Squam. You've been hearing about Squam for months now. It's in beautiful New Hampshire. I will be teaching two workshops on creativity and intuition. You can find all of that on my website at energyintuitive.com. So, Trevor, um, you briefly mentioned, I hope you don't mind me saying this on the air, that you, you like to be in your alone space and you like to have your life quiet. And so now with a book coming out, um, you don't get to be that so much. And it's quite surreal, I have to say. <laughs> <laughs> this is my first time in a radio studio and I'm afraid to touch anything. <laughs> <laughs> well, you can, yeah, everything's fine. You don't have to worry about a thing. Eric controls everything for us. So, you know, we can't mess it up, which is quite lovely. And you've been doing interviews several a day. Right, for the last uh, two or three weeks. And, and that will continue, I think, for another three or four weeks and there's right. also some live tv coming up which will be even more surreal oh my gosh for, so for me is that changing your mentality no no it's not i committed <laughs> to do it well, because it's all for a good cause so i uh-huh, if, right i mean this this will always sound arrogant coming over to anybody but i don't i this this is it could be categorized as a self-help book but i'm not a fan of self-help books because so many of even the best known self-help books mm-hmm. are written by people whose only success is the book catches on mm. And then they seem like they know what they're talking about. But mm. I've, I've always felt that was dubious. Um, and I wanted, to, I wanted this, people have been asking me to write this for years because they've practiced what I, I've seen, they've seen me practice what I preach. They have practiced in their own life and it's just incredible what happens. Um, but I wanted to wait until I had the credibility to do that. And right. so I, I, I wrote Three Simple Steps and then I found a publisher. The very next day I finished it actually. Wow. Uh, because this is how the Three Simple Steps work. It's right. an intention and, and the phone goes and there it is. Um, and... They thought it was interesting, but a little dry, and it needs my personal stories. Well, I'm a very private person, and it's been quite difficult to talk about these personal stories. But I think it, I think it adds to the authenticity. Oh, totally. at, least, at least I hope it does. So you did change your mentality. I did. <laughs> Doing it all the time. No, no, it, it's an absolutely excellent story. All of them are. You put a lot of personal stories in there. One I find also touching is that your wife was an oncology nurse, and that's how you met her. She was caring for your mother. When she was in the hospital. It was one of my mother's uh, last acts on earth, actually. She introduced me to her favorite chemotherapy nurse. I'd heard about her before, but I'd uh-huh. never met her. And I had taken compassionate leave. I was in the Royal Navy at the time. I'd taken compassionate leave. And um, it was my turn to take her for her chemotherapy. And uh, I, I must admit, I was a bit reluctant because I remember my soccer team were playing that night and I was going to miss a game. You know, <laughs> a very selfish, you know, 20-year-old, whatever I was. Uh, and, and there she was. So I just, she introduced me and that was it. I was smitten and I've been smitten every day since, Aww. I have to say. So if there's anyone out there who thinks that uh, Love at First Sight is just for the novels, it certainly is not, I can tell you that. <laughs> also, one of the stories I thought was, was also interesting and where you were applying the three simple steps in your youth, you must have been around 18 or 19 years. And actually, I think you were younger, like maybe 16 or 17, was when you applied to go into the Royal Navy. Right. Uh, um in those days, I don't know if it's changed, it may have, but in those days, the 
the British officer academies were very elitist. So, and the Royal Navy is is the source for many of Britain's leading politicians and and, and business leaders. So they're very picky, <laughs> and uh, and Britain, Britain is a class structure. And I was work, working class. My accent is a Liverpool accent, or it's a mixed accent now. But in those days. I used to talk more like a beetle than I talk today. <laughs> and, uh, and so that identified me as working class. And typically they don't get into the Royal Navy Academy. Um, but I set my heart on it. And my, my uh, career teacher told me to lower my expectations a little bit and suggested I go work in a chicken factory in the town next, next to where I was living, which was fun. And, uh, and of course, all my family and friends were afraid of me making a fool of myself. So they tried to talk me out of it. But, you know, I was determined to do it. And, and my mother and I, uh, took I think it was about six bus trips to go to a recruitment office, and and, and it started there basically. And uh, I rem- I remember the uh, recruiting officer, um, you know, just looking down his nose at me and saying, you know, we 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 really, really, really do appreciate people having big ideas, but we do have standards, and I don't want this young man to be disappointed. You know, a, a real put down, if you like. And uh, um, that was enough for my mother and I to say, right, we'll do this. <laughs> So I so I, I I applied for the Royal Navy and I got a scholarship to the academy and that's how I that's really how I got out of of um, poverty and quicksand. Wow, what I also think is interesting and I think this whole idea of changing your mentality because it, it continues over time. You know, your your brain has to consistently change to change the landscape of your life. You know, it's not just one moment of time, but it's kind of a constant thing. You also left a, a pretty shared career of the Royal Navy because it wasn't singing to your heart. It, it wasn't giving you what you wanted. It wasn't because it also has its, its sort of encapsulated class structure. And I had to change, I would have had to change very much the way I think in order to survive in that environment. I did, I think I did very well when I was there. But there's a there's a, a real divide between what they call the rank and file and the officer class. And, and uh, uh, they, they dislike each other intensely. Mm. Now, coming from a very poor background, I was more in tune with the rank and file than I was with the officer class. So it was very difficult for me to step over that divide. So it, what, I had one of those fork in the roads that you get, you know, I know if I stay, I'm, I'm going to change and I'm going to have to be like that, like one of those wow. uh, officers or I, or I could change. So I, I, I chose to go in a different path. And thank goodness I did because, you know, I mean, less than a month later, I met my wife. So. <laughs> wow. Wow. Lovely, lovely. So for those people who are working jobs right now and they're not happy, they're in the quicksand, as you call it, um, what kind of tips can you give them about how to stay in a positive place while they go to the quicksand job? You have to understand first that you're not going to go anywhere until you pull back your own decision-making capacity and your own ability to think. And, and I know it sounds crazy, but we, we are influenced by everything around us and we surround ourselves with friends who are usually of like mind. And they like who we are and they like where we are. And, and when we want to step outside of that, it's hard enough to step outside your own comfort zone, but it's even harder to step outside their comfort zone. So you do need to be selective with the information that you allow into your brain and, until it becomes a habit. And, and I still do that now. There, w- there was a time in my life where I was up to my eyes in, in credit card debt. And, and so for me to watch the TV commercials that have credit card debt solutions would have been crazy because every time I see that, hear that word or see the credit card on the, on the screen, it's going to get me a, a, a you know, horrible feeling in my solar plexus and make me feel even worse about the credit card debt. Now, you know, here we go into the little esoteric side and I'm preaching to the choir here, but you know, everything in life is energy. So therefore thoughts and words are energy. And you know, these days we understand the basic laws of physics that energy has no alternative but to try to become its material equivalent. E equals MC squared. So if you have all these thoughts and you issue all of these words that are negative, then those thoughts and words have no choice but to bring to you that which you don't want. So the more you think about what you don't have and you don't want, 
sadly, the more you get it. Mm-hmm. And, and, and more, mo- most people don't stop to think about that. And, mm-hmm. and when you do, you get this sense of awareness and you think, okay, I can't change the way I immediately think, but I can change what I issue as words. I can change the way I react. So now when you see the credit card bill come through the door or the, or the invoice come through the door, you know, I, I used to do this out loud. It sounds crazy, but hey, I don't have credit card debt now, so it must work. Um, <laughs> I used to say when I've paid off my credit card bill or my credit card debt, I will celebrate with a glass of champagne that I've bought myself at the store with cash. And I used to say that all the time. And, you know, it wasn't very long before something turned up, something, came, something I wasn't expecting. Actually, I think it was a bonus, a, a Christmas bonus my company gave me that I never expected. Uh, and that helped me wipe out my credit card debt. Now, I'm pretty sure if I hadn't had that reaction, that wouldn't have shown up. Right. And so did you go to the grocery store and pay cash for the champagne bottle? Well, I haven't. My mother-in-law loves champagne, so I probably got, <laughs> I did. And I probably got about half a glass of it. So. <laughs> so what about those days when, well, and this is a lot for a lot of people. People, they're going into their jobs. They have to go to meetings, and they're they're not enjoying the meeting. They don't want to be there. They they really they really would much rather be outside. However, they would you know in a compromise, they'd rather be at their own desk getting their work done rather than listening to something that they don't believe is very productive, or um, maybe the the meeting itself is negative. The, I mean, in three simple steps, I've got a lot of techniques for how you handle those situations because it's not always to, it's not always easy to escape the environment you know that's harming you. And we talk we talk a lot about you know being in a situation where you surround yourself with with complainers and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the reason that's important on, on, on all of this negativity is is important to think about is the latest neuroscience um, you know shows that the brain works more like a muscle than we ever imagined. And uh, in doing that, the more you repeat a behavior, the more you become that behavior. Mm-hmm. So if you surround yourself with all these negative people, you eventually become negative yourself. You can't, you, your brain hardwires into it. It's looking for a connection uh, unless you're aware of that and can take steps. But that's just half the story. The second half of the story is that Stanford is coming out with great data now that shows that if you expose your brain to 30 minutes of stresses every day, then you do physical damage to the brain and you do it in a part of the brain, the hippocampus, which you need for cognitive function, problem solving and adapting to changing circumstances, which is the life we live in. So I, I think of it as passive smoking because I grew up, my father was a chain smoker. He'd be lighting a cigarette while he still had one hanging out the other side of his mouth. And, and it was like living in a smoke-filled balloon. I tried to change his habits. I tried to get him to stop smoking, which is a dangerous thing for a kid to try to do to his father. Um, and my, in the end, my only recourse was to put distance between that poison and myself. And so I went outside and, and hung out in the fresh air for as long as I could. Uh, when you're in a toxic environment at work or at home where people around you are complaining all the time or, or, or it's a, something you really deep down know you shouldn't be doing, you have to find some way to put distance there. Mm-hmm. If you can get out of that environment, great. If you can get them out of that environment, even better. If you can't do that, then mentally you can use some tricks that will help you You'll still be there physically, but mentally you'll remove yourself from that situation. And I've got quite a few of those in three simple mm-hmm. steps. And I've tried to think of any kind of scenario that you might find yourself in. And here's something that might work for you. I think that's wonderful. It, and it was just simply feeling the energy around you can be a nice distraction or a way to escape, you know, whatever's going on. Because our world is so alive with, you know, trillions and trillions of subatomic particles that you can you can entertain yourself really just by stepping out of the environment mentally and kind of uh, etherically and reconnecting to anything that's around you in a different way. Absolutely. Sometimes just turning your back to the people you're, you're, you don't want to be with at that moment in time and looking at a view can be enough of a connection for your brain because your brain will race to whatever connection or whatever source it can find. Mm-hmm. And so if your brain's hardwired into these complainers around you, that's not going to help you. But if it's hardwired into a beautiful view or some fresh air or something like that, mm-hmm. that's good for you. Mm-hmm. And, and eventually you'll break, you'll break that habit mm-hmm. or that pattern. Oh, I love that. So the more you use that technique rather than 
stepping deeper into the quicksand, then you'll break the pattern of focusing on the negativity. The brain will do all the work for you. You don't have to, you don't have to try. Uh-huh. I have a great real life example now because my mother-in-law, who I've known for 30 years, we get on great and, and have a fantastic relationship. She spends the summer and, and, and fall with us. And so she, she arrived a, a couple of weeks ago. Uh, where she lives now, she's surrounded by people of the same age. She's 83 and they're all complaining about the health problems and the pension doesn't go far enough. And it's just complaint, complaint, complaint. Her brain hardwires to that. When she steps through the door, the first words out of her mouth are, I'm sick to death of people complaining around me. (laughs) And she's in that complaining mode straight away. Well, my wife and I have learned over the years just to ignore it, not try to change it, change the subject, immediately change the subject onto something more pleasant. And you know what? After two weeks, it's as if aliens came in overnight (laughs) and took this angry woman away and replaced it with everyone's favorite granny. The transformation is remarkable. The granny didn't do anything. It was the environment that we changed for her. So if if you're aware of that, it's really very small changes make a huge difference. And that's what I keep getting to in three simple steps. We're not trying to all become Mother Teresa. I mean, I mess up all the time. If you were with me when I was watching soccer, you'd think I'd never even read the book, let alone written it. So we just have to make small changes. Oh, that's really cute. So, you know, I, I think that you have this idea of one of the reasons why you wrote this book as well, that we're so lucky to live in a country where really we can make ourselves. You know, and, and I actually like the idea, not everyone agrees with me on this, but shipping out the jobs that are boring for us to other parts <laughs> of the world where people are more concerned about feeding their family. I'm not saying that we don't have people in our country that worry about that. Of course we do. But I think that we have the blessings of opportunities to be entrepreneurs here, to be unique, to I, manifest, to create whatever we wish. There is nowhere in the world like this. I, I can, True. I, I've been to 56 different countries because uh, travel was one thing I wanted to do early in my life. And, and I have both perspectives because there is no way in any country that I've visited that someone like me with a working class accent, pretty average schooling, no family connections, no money to help me, can start a company and succeed simply because he works hard and he, and he stays positive. There's nowhere in the world like this. Unfortunately, I think a lot of people have forgotten that or, or have lost sight of it. And, mm-hmm. and I hope this book brings back some of that to people. Mm-hmm. I mean, if I can do it, absolutely anyone can do it. Right, right. And then we have more happy people in the United States who then can you know, give money to their charities that they <laughs> love and, and send some job to another country you know, where they're more than happy to do something that isn't really fulfilling us here in the U.S., you know, so that, that's a wonderful um, credit to the book as well. You know, just getting people back into believing that they could do anything that they want. And a lot of people have unique ideas. If we just give them a moment, I'm always surprised and amazed by the creativity that people have in their brains. I am too. And I come across a lot of budding entrepreneurs with great business plans. But, but typically what happens is they will tell me this great idea and I get excited. My eyes light up and think, that's a good idea. And, and, then, they, and then they give me 20 minutes of reasons why it's the wrong time to do it. You know, the economy is not good. Banks aren't lending money. Uh, I've never been a CEO before and all the rest of it. And they talk themselves out of it very quickly and that idea gets crushed. And it's, it's such a shame. And that's what step three is for. So step three is how you take that idea and then you make it a reality. You do something. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and typically when I come across uh, people who want to start their own business and they have a great idea, I encourage them to incorporate their idea. And they think that's crazy, but an amazing thing happens. Because instead of it just being an idea that eventually fades with all the problems we get in, in our everyday lives, um, by incorporating it a week later, they get a package of mail and there's the name of their company and it sits on their desk every day. Love it. And instead of going straight to email or straight to text in the morning, they spend a few minutes looking at that and it ferments these ideas. So, so it's, it's all about how you react to the thought. That's very important. And, and so I, you know, I, I meet these people who want to change their lives, but then 
don't react to that. And mm-hmm. so the book encourages you how to react to that. Mm-hmm. To follow those hunches, those... Do something. Yeah. Do Get something started. about it. Yeah. Get started. Yeah. And so... So give an example of something that someone could do that's not a big deal, doesn't cost a lot of money to get started. Well, incorporation, $100. I mean, I mean, you can incorporate every idea. I, I've, I've built four companies, but I've probably incorporated 20 ideas. Uh, and each time it just costs $100 and, and it's a simple online process. Most people are, are, are sort of put off by the jargon. They've never mm-hmm. done it before, but it, it takes a few clicks now. Uh, you go online, type in, how do I incorporate? And you'll get 150 choices. Pick one, a few clicks, and then you get this beautiful... Um, embossed box or package that comes through the mail and now you're real you're a real company and wow. it does an amazing thing to you inside you think wow and, and you can call yourself ceo <laughs> <laughs> because you are the because ceo are. and so doing a stuff like that you think helps to inspire more of the mentality you know it does right it, it, it does and it's mm-hmm. it just you build up a, a, a degree of confidence and it's it's all about getting started i, I was fortunate in in uh, my career to to come across and work with george rothman who uh, people talked about as being the Bill Gates of the biotech world. And I was waxing lyrical about a business plan I had once and he put his hand up and he said, he talked to me, he, he died unfortunately this year, he was 84. When I was, ta- when I was with him, he was in his 70s and he talked to me like I was 12. So he said, son, <laughs> and he says, you don't know what business you're in till you get in the business, just get started. And that's sage-like advice. And uh, you know, I'm, I, I listen to these great people who are successful and if it works for them, then I, I'll try it out myself. Right, so in other words, most people are waiting for the perfect plan you know everything in order. What to do next? They're they're looking for a hundred steps, actually. You know, and what right. to do. And you're right. saying that doesn't work. No, I don't think you. I think your energy spirals around when you do that. I think if you want, you you know more about energy than right. I do. You know, your your mind is a magic wand, and you have right. to direct that energy somewhere if you want it to work for you. I couldn't agree more. In fact, people ask me all the time, you know, about how to create a successful healing practice, and I tell them that they need to celebrate that it's already there. Jump around the house, light candles, get happy. You know, every person that you see appreciate that experience enormously. Don't make a lot of plans. Just feel as if it's already happened to you in some way. Right. And you don't know how it's going to work out. There hasn't been a day in business that I've been able to predict since I started my first company. (laughs) Every day was not what I expected. And, you know, the secret of success in business, in in my opinion, is the ability to adapt Uh unemotionally Uh to constantly changing conditions. Uh, And, you know, you can't plan that. You could have a 100-page business plan and the very first day you start your business is completely different to what you expected. Wow. No, I I completely agree. And I think that second step helps you to be adaptable. Yes. Right? Because then you're not focused, stressed, you know, over-anxious just from life itself so that when that unexpected problem occurs that you need a creative solution to, you're in a good space to do that. Yeah, and it's not just not just problems. I mean, the, you don't see opportunities if you're fixed on a plan like that. If you think you've planned it all out. You know, at my first company, I thought I was getting into the oncology development business. And within a couple of months, I was in the um, enzyme replacement business, which I had absolutely no experience of whatsoever. Um, but it turned out to be the best thing I ever did and the most rewarding thing I ever did. But mm-hmm. I could never have predicted it. So you coach people too as well, or you have historically coached people. Um, is that something that you're looking forward to doing in the future? I enjoy doing it. Uh, I, I, I've done it mostly pro bono, I have to, mm-hmm. I have to say, and uh, it gives me as much thrill as, as hopefully it gives the person who benefits from it. So I'm, mm-hmm. I'm always happy to do it. I'm always open mm-hmm. to it. Mm-hmm. So do you think that's like your next step, not just pro bono, but do you think that that's... I have three books to write, so, so the <laughs> next book is coming out next year, uh, oh, Virtual Success, and... 
Uh, and then I have a more personal book called Letters Home, uh, which is coming out the, the uh, year after. After that, I don't know. Right. Uh, you know, I don't usually plan more than a few days in advance. So really what you have planned now is writing and radio shows and television appearances. Yeah, radio shows and television was a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> the writing I planned. The writing you planned. And so, so what made you decide to write three books? Uh, just ideas that popped into me when I, after mm-hmm. taking quiet time, all three of them. And, wow. and as you are now experiencing, it's not just a vague idea. It's pretty Right. Detailed oh, when they pop into detailed. your head. Yeah, and I love the so, stories. Mm. I absolutely love the stories. So what are some of the the best tips that you could give someone right now? In, you know, someone who's, again, in the quicksand, stuck, they don't know what to do. They're going to order your book on Barnes & Noble or Amazon.com or they're going to go to the website, threesimplesteps.com and order the book. So what's something they can do in the interim before that book gets to the house? Uh, I, I can only repeat what helped me, and, and that is that, um, my mother always told me, if you want to learn to cook, speak to a chef, not a food critic. So, so, so read books of people who have been successful. Don't read books of people who have observed success. Um, so I, I point that out in, in here, that there's an awful lot of books that talk about why certain people were successful. Don't, don't listen to that. Go to the person itself. So read autobiographies and you'll find you, it's, it's amazing how a lot of those people um, experienced something that you might be going through right now. And, and I, I've, so that got me started and I, I haven't stopped reading autobiographies. I, I love them because I pick something up in every single one I, I read. Um, so Three Simple Steps is, is a way out of the quicksand. Hopefully it's an authentic self-help book, but by no means should it be the last book you buy on how to succeed. Um, so I, I'm a big fan of autobiographies. Wow. And so when did you start reading those? In the library when you're getting well, yeah, when away was, from the bullies? when I was hiding, yes. Right. <laughs> you, you also mentioned, um, I know our time is getting short here, but you also mentioned in the book that... Um, that sometimes people are bullied because they're unique. Yeah, and I think how you react to it is very important. Um, and I've got, again, some examples in Three Simple Steps, but it certainly helped me become more of an individual, although I wouldn't choose that method to get there. And, <laughs> um, you know, they, there's a great saying that, it, you know, experiences what's happening to me, I wish to goodness was happening to someone else. Right, right. <laughs> so, I, so I didn't want that in my life, but I, I hopefully reacted to it positively. And I've got some examples of other people who you'll be very surprised who they are uh, were bullied, had suffered terrible bullying, and some mm. of them, some of them considered suicide. Right, and they're amazingly successful people now. So it is about all, about how you react. Um, but quicksand can mean all, all kinds of different things to different people. Sure, it could uh, be a family situation. And the starting point is always a desire to change. You've got to want to get out first, and and once you want to get out, then hopefully three simple steps has got some. Hopefully, it's a helping hand mm. along the way somewhere. Mm. Well, I certainly have loved the book, as you can see by my <laughs> highlighting and corner bending and uh, underlining. It's one of my favorites. So I really encourage people to go out and get this book because it really is simple. It's beautifully written and it's simple. So I, I really appreciate that. Thank you so much. Oh, oh, thank you. A week from today, I will be teaching my very last Riding the Wave of Happiness class at the Redmond um, Town City Marriott. Um, we're not going to be teaching that class in the evening anymore because I'm just a little too busy. I'll still be offering classes, of course, in Seattle, but that will be our very last one. I've been teaching it for about eight years now. So um, I think we're going to have a lot of fun um, saying goodbye to uh, what I hope has been an inspiring class. And thank you so much for coming on the show. Thank you for inviting me. Great experience. Loved it. Loved it. And we wish everyone a joyful day wherever you are in the world. And hopefully nice sun like it is here in the Northwest and restful sleep if you're not experiencing the daylight hours right now. Thank you so much. Have a beautiful day. Bye-bye. 